Welcome into episode 90 of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find us on your favorite podcast platform, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Darren and Andrew, happy to have you here with us. Andrew, who's the greatest 90 of all time in sports? Who's the greatest everywhere number 90? Nobody immediately comes to mind, but I feel like it was a very prominent number. Um, I believe... I mean, if you want to go football, I think there's some guys there. It, it feels like a defensive uh, lineman number. Like, yeah, it's a defensive like lineman number. Was 90, maybe? That's exactly who I was going to say. Javon <laughs> Kirst. He was and, good for like two years, 20 years ago, and we still remember him. And Jadavion Clowney wears number 90, I believe. Yeah, just when, whenever I think 90, I think defensive lineman in the NFL. I'll Maybe I'll do well, some here in the show to think of some others. Yeah, I dig up some more, but those are the two number 90s that stick out in my mind. Now, if you would have said 91, we all know who the best athlete is to ever wear number 91. Connor McDavid? No, he's uh, 97. No. Who's the end? No. There's, there's a hockey player that's 91. There's a basketball player that's 91 that's the greatest rebounder of all time. Is it Rodzilla? It's Dennis Radman. Yep. Greatest rebounder of all time. You're going out on a limb saying that? Uh, not, not much of a limb. I'm going to go ahead and say Dennis Rodman is the greatest rebounder of all time. Better, better than Barkley. Like just, just in their era, better than Barkley. Better than Barkley. Yep. I don't, I, you're more of a basketball historian than me, but that feels like a shots fired. Dennis Rodman changed games just by being the rebound king of the NBA, like legitimately changed games just by doing that. So his defense too, but his rebounding was just astronomical. So yeah, best rebounder of all time. Interesting. Interesting take. I did. um, Yeah. Apparently 91 is a huge hockey number. I knew there was somebody, the one I was specifically thinking of was Steven Stamkos, but you also have Evander Kane wears 91. Um, Tyler Seguin wore 91, Vladimir Tarasenko wore 91, and John Tavares all wear 91 or have at some point in their career. So it's a good hockey number. That's why I like hockey, because Gretzky wore 99, so now you get a lot of great hockey players wearing 90s numbers. McDavid might be 97. We had this conversation last night at uh, attended an NBA game the night before we were recording this. And what's your theory on why most athletes wear numbers that are low digits? I, I myself was an offensive lineman growing up. So, you you know, as a lineman, you have to fall in love with the 50 plus numbers. But in most sports, players are like one to 30 or 40. Is there any rationale to it? Or my theory is that like as a kid, you just learn to count. So you're like, OK, when you start loving sports, you can only count to seven. So you just pick like a low number or like Jordan was 23. So that's my thing. Like, I'm like, why don't more people love 76 and 81 and 95? Why does everybody love 20 and eight and 17 you know i feel like at, at some point some equipment managers for these professional teams and for college teams or whatever just said uh the numbers only go up to this point and this is how we do it kind of a thing like with nba teams i mean it's easy enough to get a custom jersey with whatever number right but i don't know i think it was kind of just like like in high school basketball it used to be a thing where like you uh, just like did it in order and your jerseys only went up to like 55 or something. And like 55 was the highest you could go because most schools couldn't afford to keep jerseys with every number on it. Right. So is that kind of a thing? I wonder if that just kind of got to carried over to other levels or down from professional levels. I'm sure there's some sort of logic for it that, 
that I can't, that I don't know about, but that's, that's really all I can think of. One of the things we came up with was for basketball specifically, they like to have numbers that are easy to show on their hands for a foul. So when you need to signal to the scores table, it's easier to show number 15 than it is to show number 88. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I never thought about it. Yeah. I think that's definitely some of it in terms of basketball at least, but, um, so number number 90, thank you. I don't know how anybody researched sports before the reference sites, pro football reference, NBA reference, hockey reference. I love these. So NFL players to wear 90, and based on their adjusted value, which is how pro football reference basically says how great you were, uh, Julius Peppers, Jason, uh, Pierre, Jason Pierre-Paul, TJ Watt, and Dominican Sue, and there we go, Javon Kurse, Jadavion Clowney. Just, yeah, yeah. great edge rushers. Ooh, we missed big not thinking of Julius Peppers. We missed yeah. real big time on that. Bonnie Holiday wore number 90. Uh, yeah, big old Bonnie. Love Bonnie Holiday. <laughs> anyway, back to back to our show plan we had. Uh, we're going to, when everybody's zigging, we're going to zag. We're going to do the Robert Frost, take the road less traveled. Everybody's over analyzing the Super Bowl and the AFC NFC championship games. We'll do that a little bit next week. And then we, we'll touch on that here at the end. But we're going to go NBA heavy to start this one off. With our bi-weekly favorite, Andrew's top five power rankings, which based on some of the, the way some of these teams have been trending, we could have some radical changes. I'm just, I, I don't know the rankings, but just looking at what's been going on in the NBA, I could see some radical changes here. And then I want to pick Andrew's brain here on maybe some trade deadline moves, buyers and sellers. We're going to get into college basketball, and then we'll finish up talking about NFL with whatever time we have left. So without further ado, who's in your five this week? All right. Well, I'm going to give you, as always, kind of the teams that just missed for me. And I think that's going to inform you of how things uh, shook out for my top five a little bit. Uh, The teams that I have just on the outside are the Denver Nuggets, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Miami Heat, which the Heat are moving up, but not quite into the top five for me. So that's why I mentioned them in the just missed category the number one team in the west and the just missed just missed um i took a little bit of a different route and came up with with uh some logic behind kind of my my teams that are in my top five and i'll tell you what they have in common after i get through all of them and my logic for why i did what i did maybe you'll figure it out as i go but i'll tell you kind of why i picked the five that i did and highlighted them um, but number five, can't leave them out. Got to put them in here. The beam team, <laughs> the best offense in basketball, 28 and 21 beat a Minnesota team. Who's a ele- quietly 11 and has won 11 out of their last 15. And, uh, they are the only Western conference team with a winning road record at this point in time. Um, which I find to be, sort of an indicator of a good team is if you can go and win games more than you lose games on the road. Uh, that's a, that's an indicator of a good team in my estimation. So I'm putting them in at number five, uh, De'Aaron Fox still doing his thing in the clutch. Keegan Murray shooting 50% from three in January and also four double doubles in his last seven games. Sabonis has had three triple doubles in January and it's just been a double-double machine, and with the occasional triple-double thrown in there, playing like an all-star, should have been an all-star starter 100%, but uh, that's besides the point, and so that's why I've got the Kings at number five. Um, 
Number four for me, had a few questions about this team without Kevin Durant, but I'm putting the Nets at number four. Kyrie has been absolutely carrying the team in Kevin Durant's absence, and they're still they're still playing well and have weathered that storm. Um, he's averaged like well over 25 points per game, closer to 30 points per game with KD being out, and so he's kind of taken over that alpha role in Kevin Durant's absence. So I really like what the Nets are doing. Uh, the number three team here is the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I feel like they're putting their foot down on the gas, especially Giannis. The other day on Sunday, he had 50 points in a total of 30 minutes and just absolutely torched the, the Pelicans. And also Chris Middleton's back and has looked good in the past two games when he's been back. Feels like they, when we talk about buyers and sellers, it feels like the Bucks are going to have to be a buyer. And you can say that about a lot of teams we'll get to when we get to the buyers and sellers. But um, I think the Bucks should definitely be a buyer because they are maybe a piece away from being a true championship team in my, in my estimation. Um, so it's good to see Middleton getting back to old form. I think that'll be a big boost for them, but there's maybe another move that they could make. And number two, and I still really believe that this is probably – the best team in the NBA, but they're not currently playing like it. And some of that's due to injury. And that's the Boston Celtics Uh, lost three out of their last four, won the kind of the controversial game on Saturday night against the Lakers, which whatever you think about the end of regulation with it being a foul, not a foul. Patrick Beverly certainly thought it was a foul. He even got out the camera to prove it to the ref. Um, and one of the most interesting technical fouls that I think I've ever seen. Um, but they do hold a 4-0 record over the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Nets, who are probably their main competition in the East, I would say, uh, outside of the Cavaliers. But they're 4-0 against what I believe are three really good teams. And they'll play each of those teams again before the all-star break. So we'll see if that holds up, but Tatum and Brown are having to do too much. Currently smart and Williams are out. They're going to be better. Once, once ever, whenever smart gets back, when Williams gets back. So I've got Boston at number two right now, just based off how they're playing. And at number one, Philly. Um, I, I don't, know if that comes as a surprise to some people but i'm putting philly at number one seven game win streak 20 out of their last 24 and their top five in offensive defensive and overall net rating and it's the first time all season that their offensive rating is better than their defensive rating joel Embiid averaged 34 and 10 in the month of january um, something that hasn't been done since the days of Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, I believe he did it on like 58% shooting or something ridiculous like that too. So that's that's something that like hasn't been done since the days of Hakeem Olajuwon, I believe. So he's squarely in the MVP conversation right now. And they also won their last three games while having their worst defensive stretch of the entire season. So played bad defense, gave up almost 130 points per 100 possessions in their last three 
and still found a way to pull out each of those three wins. One of those without Embiid against the beam team. So very impressive run from the Sixers here. And I've got them in my top spot. So that's it. That's my top five. I'm not going to say you're wrong because it's opinion, but I would at least disagree with the number one spot. So give us, give us those five to one again. Sacramento at five, Nets at four, Bucks at three, Celtics at two, Sixers at one. I am, I am completely lost on what the pattern is, except unless it's like they're the best record over the last 10 games. That's the closest thing I can come to because the Heat over the last 10, or not the Heat, Sixers are the best record over the last 10 games. That's only thing I can think of. I, yeah. Well, you, like you just, you, you refuse to love my Cavaliers. We've established that. Um, that's, that's <laughs> I'm sorry. Thing. So here's, here's the common thread amongst all these teams. They're the only five teams in the NBA that currently have a winning road record. Ah, they're the only five teams that have a, a above 500 road record. Everybody else is either just below or in some cases significantly worse. Like your Cleveland Cavaliers, for example, I believe they're 11 and 17 on the road. Um, So when I looked at the home away splits, I noticed that these were the five teams. And so I ordered these five in how I saw these five separate from everybody else. I said from five to one, if these are the five teams that have a, above 500 road record how do these teams rank and that's how i rank these teams and then also i I do think it's rather impressive that the sixers have won 20 out of their last 24 um especially with you know rest days for Embiid, for harden um for maxi even having an injury in there as well some of their top guys out and just still keep winning i i think that kind of sustained success is why I have them in the top spot. And I think, again, I threw in the caveat that the Celtics are the best team, I believe, overall. It's more about how each of them are, the Sixers and the Celtics are playing right now, um, rather than where I think they'll end up at the end of the season. Which, and so they've had 47 games. Only two guys have played all 47, one of which is George and Yang. Harden's yep. only played 33. Is this why we're not talking about him? He's played 33, started 33. He's putting in 36 minutes, averaging 21, 6, and 11. Is it, I mean, is 21 points just pedestrian by James Harden standards? I, I admit that I'm not super engaged in the NBA. This is when I start kind of turning the tide on that. But I feel like there's no buzz around James Harden as he just kind of accepted his future as the number two or three guy. You used to hear about James Harden every single night. Yeah, I think he's actually kind of moved into that phase where he's okay with being the number two guy and not being the um, the top billing guy, especially since uh, he's really changed things around for Embiid and he sees how good Embiid is. Embiid is doing some ridiculous things. I mean, we've we've seen fifty point triple doubles from Embiid this season, and we we almost saw a quadruple double from Embiid. He was really close, I believe in one game with blocks. I I think we almost saw that from Anthony Davis too. So I I think uh, James Harden is, is more than willing to say, Hey, this is kind of Joel, this is kind of your show when you're healthy and in there and I can take over when I need to, but I'd rather be a facilitator for other guys, for you, for 
Tobias Harris for Tyrese Maxey. So that's, uh, yeah, and I do think those are just kind of typical James Harden numbers. Well, we'll we'll start there since the top five is kind of Eastern Conference heavy. Look at the rest of our standings here, and maybe this will lead us into our buyer and seller conversation. But a lot of the teams you mentioned, uh, if we go by win-loss record, the way I have it sorted right now, the Cavaliers, Cavaliers, sorry, Sixers are third standings-wise, Celtics with the most wins, and then you've got the Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, and Nets all kind of tight in there. I think those five you'd have to think are pretty safe and look like the best in the East so far. But then look who's coming. Old Reliable right there in the sixth spot right now, the Miami Heat. Kind of forgot about them. They were sucking, and now they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. So watch out. Here comes Jimmy Butler and crew. Yeah. Um, I think the Heat have made a good run. They still have uh, some issues shooting-wise. Tyler and also, contract. Yeah, Tyler Hero's contract. But also they, they have some – shooting issues that are well documented and also they're not I, I think maybe they can change and turn this on when the playoffs get around but currently in their regular season form as of right now and it was an early season thing and it's continued on but they're they're still playing a heavy amount of zone defense which is not something you think of when you think Miami Heat basketball you think tough gritty in your face man-to-man defense that's kind of the style that's propelled them in the playoffs and they're not that team currently not to say they won't be that team uh when the playoffs get tip off but currently that's the issue that i see with the miami heat the they do not score that is they are the worst offensive team in the league right now but the Cavs and the heat are the two best defensive teams so for whatever whatever that's worth at this point in the season, at least with the Cavs and the Heat, you may have may have that defense to keep you in a seven game series if you're in a so that they would be in that three six first round matchup they had run into the Sixers right now if I have this sorted right, which doesn't sound like the matchup you want at the moment. No, I don't really think that would be a good matchup for Miami. I do think Bam can do his best to, to slow down Embiid. Uh, but beyond Bam, you don't have a lot of guys to throw at um, Embiid. And so that, that becomes kind of a tough matchup. And I mean, Embiid is going to be a tough matchup for really just about any team that he, he faces, except for maybe, you know, Milwaukee with Lopez, Giannis, Portis. They can throw bodies at him. But Miami doesn't really have that beyond Bam out of bio. I think Miami would be the top of the next, this kind of middle tier of your teams that are in that playoff tournament hunt. The Knicks have kind of come alive. I don't think they're threatening to dethrone one of those top five. They're in there with Jalen Brunson leading the way. The Hawks, who were one of the two teams that I saw live in person, unfortunately no Trey Young, so I was expecting 50-foot bombs. He was out, but this team just looks so athletic. I will say I was impressed by Clint Capella. He's the guy who stood out to me, but... Capella, DeJounte Murray, John Collins. I know there's a lot of talk that the Hawks will end up being sellers and just giving, especially John Collins seems to be the name really popping up, but guys like that and Bogdanovich. So the Hawks, I think, look really good as an athletic team, but again, will they compete with those top five? I don't see it. The Pacers are somehow hanging around in this thing. They have plummeted. They'll lost uh, three in a row as we're recording this, one and nine in their last 10. And then the Wizards have won six in a row, seven and three in their last 10. What is happening? You trade away Rui Hachimura and you get hot. 
So there's your kind of middle tier if we had our play in right now. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with saying Miami's the top of that middle tier. I don't really think anybody below that sixth spot is much of a threat to anybody above that line. I just don't see any of those teams because in that, and this this will kind of lead into the buyer sellers thing. I think there's a lot of teams there that you mentioned, like Atlanta, like Washington, um, and Toronto is even further on down, the Bulls. You could definitely argue that all of those teams should absolutely sell, be sellers at the at the trade deadline and, and not buyers. And getting down here to the teams on the outside looking in at the moment, the two big ones are the Raptors and the Bulls standing out. I was definitely a buyer in the Bulls. I thought they would be playoff contenders. It's not like they're that far apart. They're a couple of week games back. One good week could t- turn the tide on this. Same with the Raptors, but these are the two teams where you keep seeing people, especially the Raptors, have been rumored a lot from what I've read. Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet maybe on the trading block. And then you get down there, the Magic, the Hornets, the Pistons, they're not going anywhere. I just, well, maybe, maybe this is where we start talking about it. Raptors and Bulls, is it time to set sail for some of your best players? I do, because if you if you make it into the playoffs – what kind of damage are you going to do once you get there? My sense is is not much. Maybe make it through the play-in tournament and then get destroyed by the Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, Celtics. I mean, is that really worth um, going in on? I, I don't think so, especially not. I know somebody's got to make it just because that's the way it's set up, right? But I don't really think you want to try to go all in on this season because the contending teams have kind of revealed themselves and you're, you're not it. You're not it. If you're Toronto or Chicago, I mean, they are the wizards. They have 24 wins right now. They could end the season with fewer than 30 wins because the wizards. Yeah. And I think that should be part of the plan is to get another legitimate running mate for Bradley Beal via the draft. Um, rather than to, you know, kind of go all in on a play-in caliber team. So to, to put a bow on the East, we'll go to the West and then talk about some player movement. This this statement, you can tell me true or false. The Celtics, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Cavs, and the Nets are all legitimate Eastern Conference champion contenders. Um, yeah, Nets with the caveat that Kevin Durant is fully healthy. I mean, I mean, that's the caveat for all of them, right? They need to have a fully healthy and operational. So assuming full health, yeah, that's a, that's an accurate statement. Switching over to the West here, where it feels like two two teams have kind of pulled out in front of everybody else and then a big swath of them and they're tight together. The disrespected franchise you heard at the top of the show, the Denver Nuggets, 34 wins, second most wins in the NBA, but they holding down the are holding down the number one spot in the Western Conference and the Grizzlies right there at number two. I feel like they've kind of drifted a little bit back. The the shine is a little bit off them right now, but they can catch fire again. And then the Clippers look like they're finally coming. Uh, they're in the three spot right now. And the beam team hanging in there at four. That's what kind of stands out to me about them is we expected them to fall off as Sacramento does. But you see teams like the Spurs and the Jazz and the Pelicans who have plummeted or a Timberwolves and the Clippers who are getting hot. There's just the Kings just... Steady, I would say the Nuggets, the Grizz, and the Kings have been the three that are really kind of steadily at the top. And then 
rounding out your top six, you've got those aforementioned Timberwolves and then the Dallas Mavericks. So your, your top six right now, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Clippers, Kings, Timberwolves, and Mavericks. Yeah. Um, I, I think Denver and Memphis and, you know, Sacramento are definitely have revealed themselves as kind of, it's really wide open in the West. I, I really don't feel like the Clippers are kind of coming on now with Kawhi Leonard being back and playing well. Golden State's making a push, but man, I, I really think the Western Conference is more wide open. I know Denver and Memphis have kind of separated themselves in terms of the regular season standings, but I don't feel like they're those two teams are unbeatable juggernauts. Um, yeah, I, I really think there's a quite a logjam. I think there's more teams that can't win the West than teams that can, and I'll say Utah, Minnesota. And I, I'm really down on Phoenix. I don't really feel like Phoenix has the goods to make it out of the West uh, either, even though we've seen them do it before. I just There's just something off about the Phoenix Suns to me. I think the Pelicans have really struggled lately. They need Zion fully healthy, and that's what no guarantee. What has happened as, to the Pelicans? As, as of this show, they've lost eight in a row. They were, they were kind of the darlings of the West, hanging in there with the Nuggets and the Grizz. Uh, Zion and the Ingram injury has really thrown them into kind of a tailspin. You can carry through that for a short time period, but over the long haul, if you don't have those guys back and Ingram's back tonight, so that will help. But yeah, if you, if you uh, don't have your star players, I think they have a lot of good role players, but they, they can't have role players trying to play star roles over an extended period of time, but yeah, just a rough stretch for the Pelicans. They're just very shorthanded right now. Looking on their roster, I just pulled up here quick. Jonas Valanciunas and Devontae Graham and Jose Alvarado have been their three consistent players. Uh, Trey Murphy, CJ McCollum's missed a few, but he's mostly in there. Trey Murphy, like you say, you drop way down. Zion's only played 29 games. Jackson Hayes, 29 games. Brandon Ingram, 17 games. They, I felt like this team really had a shot at the West if all those guys are healthy. That if is growing bigger by the day. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, and you you beat me to the punch on the next ones. Look who's coming. The Warriors are in there. It's just a matter of time. Start heating up. Your uh your road stat from earlier does not bode well for them. Seven and eighteen on road games. So uh, something to clean up there, Golden State. But they're twenty six and twenty four right now. They're in that ten spot right now for the play. And I only see things going up for them. They, we were just kind of waiting. They're waiting in the weeds. I'm not going to be shocked if they are in that top five conversation here by the All-Star break, at least in the West. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it was just a matter of getting healthy and getting right. So, And then, you know, look at the teams that are just out. I really like what OKC has shown lately. I think the pieces are kind of coming together for OKC. I watched them play against the Warriors last night and they lost, but they didn't have Lou Dort and they were, they were very competitive with the Warriors and SGA and Josh Giddy kind of took over that game in the fourth quarter. And it took some heroics from Steph and clay to kind of put them down. And, and I was thinking, you know, with a good off season, 
the right draft pick, Chet Holmgren coming back and being a factor, maybe a free agent acquisition or two. Who knows? I, I really think OKC could be on the trajectory that we think that we thought New Orleans was on this year. I could see OKC actually being on that trajectory next season. And then they'll draft seven guys this year, and then they'll really be in a good spot. I mean, hey, if they hit on a few of them, then they're going to be in a great spot. And I think they have a good role player in Lou Dort. They have um, Jalen Williams, the wing. Jalen Williams, the big man. I think Jalen Williams, the wing, is a decent player and could develop into a consistent role player for them, too. They've they've got some pieces that can make them a legitimate team. I I just think they need another legit third option scorer to go with uh, SGA and Giddy. Probably a second scorer because Giddy doesn't really want to function as a scoring threat. He's more of a facilitator. He'd probably be okay with being a third guy if you got a solid running mate. It it reminds me a little bit of a Tatum and brown kind of thing you need kind of the jalen brown to go with the jason tatum of sga the the west to me is still so wide open how many of them have a real shot at winning maybe two or three looking at the standings though who's going to make a playoff run there's 11 teams right now within five games of each other one good or bad weekend could swing things for you i think portland does have a shot to get in i'm i'm just waiting for the jazz to fall out the Mavs, the Timberwolves, the Kings still don't instill a lot of confidence in me. Portland, as long as they stay healthy, look good with Damian Lillard there, at least at least athletic enough to get in that six, seven spot, I think. One game behind them, though, is the Los Angeles Lakers. If we want to touch on this, is if if I assume that NBA reference is accurate. Kareem Abdul Jabbar is the NBA's all-time scoring leader at 38,387. LeBron is currently 38,271. So the the question becomes not if he's going to pass Kareem, but will he? You know what? When is he going to pass Kareem? Dude, are you good enough at math? Better than me at math? What is that? One hundred and sixteen points behind him right now. Yeah. So, so LeBron's playing tonight, and um, don't currently know how many points he has as of this recording. Actually, looking it up right now. So he's they're they're at the at the Knicks as we're recording on a Tuesday, Thursday at the Pacers, and Saturday at the Pelicans before returning home on Tuesday the seventh to play the Thunder. Now basically he needs four thirty point games to set the record. And there's some tinfoil hats out there. Does he want to set it at home? Maybe does waiting to play against Golden State with the history they have together for the the Hollywood drama. Or is it one of those things just get it over with to get it over with so it happens in a game against the Pelicans nobody cares about? So all the all the tinfoil hats, then I've also heard this theory of he should wait until after the Super Bowl because if he does it in the next week, people it's going to be second behind the Super Bowl. So if you, if you had to put your money down, when does LeBron set the scoring record? Man, um... That's really interesting. I won't go I won't go tinfoil hat with it because I don't know. I think LeBron just it's gonna be a story no matter when LeBron does it. Right. Um Super Bowl, whatever. When LeBron breaks the all time scoring record, it's gonna be a story, it's gonna be a thing no matter what. I mean so, 
I, th- I think so. Saturday night, the 11th of February 11th, Saturday, they play at Golden State on ABC. I'm going to guess the ESPN think, ABC folks would love for him to do it that night, but I, I think there's too many games against bad teams for it to happen wait that long. Well, at, at this current juncture, he's got 107 points to go because he's got nine points at halftime. So let's see. How many? Okay. How many games does he have until that Golden State game? So he's got, there's. Four more: see, pay, Pacers, Pelicans, Thunder, and Bucks. Nice. So that'd, that'd be that'd be five games. He's he's so he's scoring thirty point two per game this season. Yeah, yeah, he's probably breaking it. Um, he might be breaking it. Pacers, Pelicans, Thunder, Bucks. He's probably breaking it in that Bucks game, actually. He's he's got to there's got to be some prop bet out there you can get for that. Yeah. Uh, hey, being the degenerate that I am, I should probably know that, right? But I I don't bet on that kind of a thing. I'm, I'm sure there is, but I think he's probably going to do it against the Bucks. Uh, Maybe the Thunder if he really explodes. See, I'll I'll go with the Thunder. I think he wants to do it at home in front of the Los Angeles fans. So one of those two games, but I'll I'll go earlier and say he does it against the Thunder. It'd be really cool to do it against Milwaukee, though, with um, just the fact that they're thought of as a good defensive team and doing it against Giannis right. in a place where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played as well, played for both franchises. That might be kind of an interesting thing, but yeah, I could see I could see it happening in the Thunder game. And if you've watched Thunder games, the pace of Thunder games is it's kind of frenetic, and it leads to a lot of points, so... A lot of a uh, lot of thunder thunder games are high scoring, and the Lakers are not a great defensive team by any means. So that that would make a lot of sense too, and doing it at home. So, and I I don't think a lot of records are unbreakable. So if LeBron gets to this, so he basically needs seven hundred more points to get to thirty nine thousand. I think he'll get there. I think he'll be the first guy to get to forty thousand. I just think he takes care of himself and he wants to play with Bronny, so he'll be around for a couple more years. I'm just curious who'd be next in the list. Uh, NBA reference considers Carmelo Anthony still active, but he's only at 28,000. KD is a shade under 27,000 right now. I'm trying to think if KD would even get within sniffing distance of that. Then you go down to Harden and Westbrook are at 24. Steph's only at 21,000. Dame's at 18,000. You think of the names and how good these guys are at scoring, and LeBron has. Like double more than double what Damian Lillard has. I know he's been around quite a few years longer. You think how right. good Harden and Westbrook and KD are scoring, and LeBron is still way ahead. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, when Kareem did what he did, people thought it was unassailable, unbreakable. Um, but LeBron just seemingly is going to keep going and keep playing for forever. It's kind of like Tom Brady in football. It feels like LeBron can just keep going and going and going without any real end in sight because I don't think that this is LeBron's last season in the NBA, and I don't think that it's next year. I think it's at least two more years after this year of LeBron, at, at least. Um, I could see him playing until 40 or even a little bit oh, beyond yeah. 40. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. And so – if he's able to play a significant number of games beyond this year and you factor in, I mean, 
the playoffs and all of that too, LeBron is going to do something that might truly be unbreakable uh, in terms of the scoring mark because I don't know if there will ever be a guy that can play for at such a high level for as long of a time as LeBron. And also, you got to think about the way the NBA might change because there is some talk about the number of games and load management and do we reduce the number of games? I mean, that would really mess with these all-time records if they reduce the amount of regular season games. Just pure math perspective, you don't have as many opportunities to score as many points to get that kind of a thing done. So if there's a, if there's a guy that could do it, it's probably the most likely candidate is a guy like Luka Doncic. That's what I'm, I'm trying to see if uh, basketball reference has like a points per season. So he just had the highest average points per season. There's a, a, a thousand stats. One of them has to be in here somewhere. Yeah. If, if there's someone that's actually going to do it from that kind of next generation, I think Luka Doncic is a really good candidate for it. Um, Curry, I, I think Curry's game could age well. So maybe Curry could, pop into that conversation i don't really know um and and Giannis isn't he's not really a fill it up score not really a three-point guy he's at fifteen thousand. i'm trying to go down this list and find some younger guys who i mean Giannis is 27 i believe so yeah 13 more years like i could see Giannis maybe getting there but devin booker's at twelve thousand points right now i don't know if he's gonna stay a 30 point score every year the joker's at eleven thousand. I don't think Joker is going to be, you know, scoring enough to get there. So, yeah, I really think you're talking about, like, Giannis, maybe. Luca, probably the best bet currently at this point in time. Where's that Where's that futures bet that you can get? <laughs> I don't know if you can go that far in the future, but... Uh, if there was a futures bet to be like, hey, Luca's going to break the all-time scoring record no matter what LeBron does, <laughs> I, I think the odds would be astronomical. So, well, it'll it'll be fun to watch in a great historic moment whenever it does happen. Ideally, against the Thunder. Um, Want to finish up on the NBA here, talking about some buyers and sellers and. Teams who may be looking to make some moves. I do have CBSSports.com's top guys that they think will be on the trade block, but I want Andrew.com's top guys on the trade block. Uh, if, if there's any teams that stand out, looking at you know teams we talked about who are on the outside, looking in a a Portland, a Los Angeles, Utah, Thunder, um, not Thunder, Bulls, Raptors, Pacers. Who are some teams you're looking at that maybe it's time to see what we can get for our stars? Yeah, I think I think that team is the Raptors. I've heard a lot of OG and Anobi trade rumors. Atlanta, John Collins has been in trade rumors for forever. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm skeptical if John Collins is ever going to get traded because I've heard his name for like three years in a row. Which, it seems I, like. I wonder what I wonder what the hang is the does Atlanta want too much or it, do they just really don't want to trade him? I just wonder what the hangup is there. Yeah, I I really don't know what the hang-up is there. I've also heard that the Atlanta 
organization is a, a little bit of a mess right now. Well, I uh, hope hoping my guy Kyle Corver can clean it up. He's actually the new assistant GM at Atlanta, which is pretty cool. But um, I think that's a really interesting thing about the current trade market because the Timberwolves screwed everything up with that Gobert trade. Like it really set teams' values at just a crazy high value to where someone put like it was rumored that someone offered like three first round picks for OG and Anobi. Yeah, that's the headline um, I saw. And I was thinking, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, and I love OG and Anobi actually as a solid starter, classic three and D guy, a team that needed some defense that thought they were improving their defense. Hint Kings get on the phone with the Raptors right now um, for OG and Anobi and, and do your thing. But three first round picks is too high of a value. So if, if we're going to see moves at this deadline, I think the most obvious name that that has been out there is Jay Crowder. I think you're going to see Jay Crowder on the move at the trade deadline for, for sure. Including the Hachimura trade as a trade deadline move because it was an end season trade. Uh, I think that's a decent trade for the Lakers if they can re-sign him. So you already had Hachimura move, but I, in terms of guys that I think are going to get moved, I think you'll see. I think you'll see uh, Jay Crowder number one first and foremost, one hundred percent going to happen. Uh, another guy that I could see is Ananobi. I just there's too much smoke with Ananobi for there not to be fire somewhere, and I think some team is going to pull the trigger on an Ananobi trade. So you're going to have. And then you're going to have guys like, I do think John Collins is actually going to move this time. I I really do think that John Collins is going to move this time, but I don't think we're going to see any like blockbuster unless something just comes out of left field. I'm not expecting the bulls to uh, do a DeRozan or Levine trade at the deadline or, or anything like that. So Cam Reddish is another name that's out there. I think you're going to get a lot of guys of that kind of caliber in the trade deadline. And the other, the other interesting thing that I see is there's, there's a lot of teams that have obvious flaws that will need to be buyers. I mean, even some of the top teams we talked about, like the Bucks, for example, I think Jay Crowder would be a, a great fit for for the bucks and they kind of need that extra wing defender because they had pj tucker the year they won the championship and they haven't been able to replace kind of what pj tucker brought and i think jay crowder could do a version of that that's good enough for the bucks to be a true championship contender if they got crowder i like that so crowder to the bucks that makes sense yep uh it just really depends on what again what these teams want, and I think values are inflated because of that go bear trade. So somebody's got to make the first move that will kind of reset the trade market back down to a reasonable level up from let's send six first round picks for Rudy Gobert or whatever it was, which was just one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Uh, what about the greatest triple double player in NBA history? I'm sorry, who who are we talking about? Luka Doncic? Uh, 
Russell Westbrook? The, the great Russell Westbrook? Uh, no, I think he's with the Lakers. I think the Lakers made their buy move by getting Hashimura. I don't really think they have much else to play with unless they're going to give up those two first round picks to Indiana and go get maybe like miles Turner or buddy healed or something like they've been rumored. But now I think Indiana is probably, well, miles Turner just signed a contract extension. So I don't really see the Pacers moving off of miles Turner and I don't see the Lakers offering up a couple first for buddy healed. So I've also heard Matisse Thibel's name in trade rumors. I think the big thing with John Collins is he doesn't want to play uh, third option in Atlanta anymore. He wants to go somewhere and prove that he can be maybe uh, like a second option type deal because right now in Atlanta, he just kind of camps in the corner. I don't know if you saw that at the game last night when Atlanta came to town. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mostly just watched for him to dunk. I was just, I was just waiting for lobs. That's all I really wanted from him. Yeah, yeah well, I did no, not. Feel they, like, I did not feel like I was watching. Like, wow, John Collins, that defense. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, offensively, I think he's capable of more. But he kind of just gets thrown in the corner and waits for the ball from either Trey Young or, or Deontay Murray, and uh, doesn't get it. And then he's forced to throw up threes when he does eventually get it so it's kind of a i think he's got more to his game than that so that's kind of why he wants out and you talked about a couple of these guys mostly ananobi who everybody points at as the big fish he's he's the big prize but they're also mentioning gary trent jr and fred van vliet as being pieces which makes me wonder is pascal siakam untouchable is or or could you offer enough to get Siakam? It just feels like the, if if the Raptors did this, they'd tear away every piece around him, and he'd just be a man on an island. I don't think Siakam's untouchable, but I I think it's one of those things with, like we said, the trade market is just the values on the trade market is just it's unreasonable right now, and I don't think anybody's going to if it costs three first round picks for Inanobi, or so we think right now. Then Siakam's worth what five? <laughs> I don't think any team should pay that price for Siakam. As much as I love Siakam, I think that'd be just too much. And looking at these teams, I'm trying to figure out what deals there are to make. You look at what's what's made the Celtics and the Nuggets and the Grizzlies great is they build this core of guys who work really well together. It worked for a couple of years with the Suns till it seems to have stopped working. I don't know that the Nets have money anywhere available. Cleveland's a team I'm curious about. And again, I'm not going to pretend to know these depth charts. I've not done my sufficient research on it yet. But a Cleveland, a Sacramento, the Knicks, the Clippers, teams like that who may be a player away. Looking at some of the the likely names, what about a Mike Conley? Uh, somebody like that who's a, he's coming off the bench, but he's a, he's a great locker room guy, a bench guy, a role player. Somebody else like Eric Gordon, who I feel like is at every trade discussion ever in the last 15 years of the NBA. Eric Gordon has somehow been part of it. You mentioned you mentioned a Jay Crowder. I think Mike Conley's kind of in that same crop of guys, a, a good role playing guard who could really just kind of give you that little edge. Yeah, it, it, I think in you with in Utah's case specifically, I think there's a couple guys. Conley, that's a good one, and then Clarkson is another one that I could see being on the move because he's not that young. So again, it's more of just unloading veteran contracts to make room for 
younger players, acquire draft picks, kind of the OKC model. Um, Another name who I don't think will move but might come up a bit, and it is from the Sacramento Kings, is Harrison Barnes. I could see Harrison Barnes' name. Well, it's already been floated out there in some trade rumors um, from Kings fans specifically, but I could see Harrison Barnes being thrown and thrown and tossed around in all those rumors. And one more player I want to get to, and then we'll transition to college ball. One of the names I'm seeing on this list is D'Angelo Russell. Now, I thought the the Timberwolves just started firing on all cylinders and they had all these issues. We thought if somebody was going to get traded once upon a time that it was going to be Cat, that Rudy Gobert made Carl Anthony Towns disposable and Towns and Anthony Edwards may not have been the best of friends. And this was Anthony Edwards team. But this this core of D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, I thought was supposed to be the future. Is there validity to this D'Angelo Russell worthwhile to move him? I do think there's some validity to that. I think that could be a really big name on the trade market, but it it would really depend on what they get back, obviously. But um, yeah, I've I've heard a lot of smoke around the D'Angelo Russell thing. I, I don't think they believe that he is the point guard of the future. And that's really what this move might be about. And I will admit to not knowing a whole lot about their guards outside of Anthony Edwards, but looking at this, I don't see a lot of current established guard star power. If you get rid of D'Angelo Russell, who's running the point for you or flanking Anthony Edwards, if he's going to be your main ball handler. No, there's, there's not, but again, that might be part of the trade. Uh, I I think I, uh, hmm. I, I don't know. I really don't know. I'd be curious to see what the trade packages for D'Angelo Russell would look like. I don't think they're going to get back what they, you know, I don't think they're going to get back that much for him, but I'd be, I'd be rather curious about trade packages. I'm just, I'm just not forming a good trade package right off the top of my head right now. Anything else NBA related before we go to the college game? No, I think we can go ahead and switch over. All right, going to turn this part over to Andrew to start at college basketball. Another another sport that I'm really starting to pay a lot more attention to now that football's coming to an end. I don't really know a whole lot that's happened recently except for the Big 12 owned the SEC in the, their conference challenge. But other than that. Yeah, um, the Big 12, best conference in college basketball this year. Does that hurt so. you to say? Uh, a little bit, yeah. a little bit figured, but Hey, Hey, um, <laughs> anyways, I just had some burning questions for you. So I'm going to go ahead and, and fire away. I'll give you my answers, but I want to, you're always asking me questions. So I'm going to flip the script right now. Love it here. So who do you think, and this is a separate question from the second question that I'll get to. Who do you think the best team in college basketball is currently? And you can say Iowa State if you want, but I'll tell you that you're wrong. But uh No, no. you get destroyed by Missouri, you don't get any you don't get any love. Okay. Okay. All right. Well that's fair. Um who so just looking at it, I know that you're kind of just getting into college basketball again. Who's the best team in your eyes currently at this point in time? I 
I know it's it's the easy, low-hanging fruit answer, but you look at the numbers, it, it has to be Purdue. Far and away the best record, playing a, a relatively tough schedule. Yes, there's there's some down teams in the Big Ten so far this year, but they're rolling over people, really handle, handling Michigan and Michigan State back-to-back nights. I think it's got to be Purdue. Zach Eddy, what do we decide? He's 43 years old at this point in time. I <laughs> I, it's more about my lack of trust for the other teams. I refuse to buy into this Houston Cougar team, Alabama. I just, I, I'm not seeing it. We, we know you love Arizona and UCLA. Kansas should probably be in that conversation. Texas is weirdly getting really good with the interim head coach in there. Nobody's really wowing me. It doesn't feel like we have a lock, stock and barrel number one team, but if you're going to be 21 and one at this point in the season, I I can't say that there anybody looks better than Purdue. Purdue, you're going to have a veteran coach. They're always going to be tall outside of Edie, Eddie, whatever his name is. They're just, it feels like you're always playing against the trees with Purdue. You watch them and it just looks like all seven footers. Yeah. Um, I like Purdue, but can I submit to you Tennessee? See, I, I know they're up there and very, very quietly. Even people who pay attention to basketball, I don't think realize that Tennessee is currently the number two team in the country. Love me some Rick Barnes. It's just, it's like, really? Tennessee? Am I supposed to, is it, is this the real deal or is this just kind of just temptation rather than it is substance? Yeah. Well, I mean, you talked Big 12 SEC challenge and while the Big 12 did handle business for the most part, Tennessee beat Texas head to head at home. It was in Tennessee, but they beat Texas head to head. Um, and they're number one in adjusted defense in the nation, according to Ken Palm. Number 33 in adjusted offense. They've played a relatively difficult schedule. Don't really have any bad losses. I believe they're number two in the net. I'm just the net rankings, which is kind of what the uh, committee uses in order to sort teams. They're number two in the net. Houston's number one. I know you said you don't believe in Houston, and I get it. I I really do. I've seen Houston recently, and they have not been the most impressive team. So I really think you're kind of having a conversation with uh, Houston and and Tennessee and Purdue. I think those are kind of the three teams. And as much as I love the Big Ten and I love me some Purdue, I think I'm going to have to take Tennessee as the best team at this current point in time. It feels like your Blue Bloods are struggling however much you want to consider UCLA a Blue Blood. It's really Kansas is the only one up there. North Carolina, who is the the big team to start the year, has completely fallen off. Duke's nowhere to be found. UConn's even plummeted way down after having – did they get to number one? They were up close to the top. But your, your main Blue Bloods in Kentucky, the same way, they're all down. So it's kind of opening the door for some fun new teams. I know Baylor was just a champion a couple of years ago, but we don't really think about them as a consistent team. Having Baylor and Kansas State and even Alabama, who, as much as I don't love Oklahoma and anything, man, that was fun to watch them. As as a Big 12 homer, it was just fun to watch them destroy the SEC teams. And so Alabama got crushed by 30. Yeah, um, that was kind of the most surprising result in college basketball over the past week. Um so now my, my next question for you is who's your favorite at this point in time to win it all? And you can go ahead and say Purdue again. And I think that's a very valid answer, but can I uh, just remind you of the fact that the 
national champion for the past, I believe, 15 or so years. And I think we've talked about it on this show before, maybe last year when we were talking March Madness. I know we've definitely talked about this, but the national champion is usually top 30 in Ken Palm's adjusted offense and adjusted defense. They're top 30 in both. So, so let me give you those teams and produce one of them. The other teams are UCLA, Houston, Alabama, UConn, Kansas, Creighton, the Blue Jays, no, thank you. Virginia, and I believe that is it. So of the teams that fit the criteria for our national champion ever since Ken Palm existed, basically, um, which of those teams do you like the most? Tennessee is not in that list, surprisingly. They just missed their 33 in adjusted offense. And we should go back and look this up as well. When the last time, like the number one overall seed, who would be Purdue right now, when the last time the number one overall won the national championship, or like how many time in the last 20 they've actually made it. Uh, But as you were saying that, I was trying to do some quick reading here. I pulled out four teams, mostly because I knew they had veteran experience, which for me is a big thing when it comes to March Madness. Don't give me the one and dones. I don't care. Give me the veteran teams who have been there, have experienced coaching. And I pulled out four teams. I was really hoping you were going to say Gonzaga because they were one of the four. We're not really talking about the Zags. They're not wowing people this year. They're the number 12 team right now. They have a conference loss, which is unheard of for them. They were one of the four I pulled out. The other three were Virginia, Kansas, and UCLA. Mostly because we know Kansas has been there. Uh, UCLA with the Tiger leading the way. Feels like he's another one of those guys who's been in college for seven years. Tiger Campbell from where? Uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, actually. The the new hotbed of basketball stars, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. But didn't he play for uh, La Lumiere, which I believe is uh, not in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So he was <laughs> born in Cedar team. Rapids, but he was he played, I believe, in I think that's a Chicago prep school. I could be wrong. I was really good at claiming people who were born there who spent no time there. You know, John Wayne, Herbert Hoover, Tiger Campbell. Hi, Tiger Campbell. Yep. So really without a whole lot of, of in-depth research, the four that I pulled out to read to look at were Gonzaga, Virginia, Kansas, and UCLA. Okay. I'm, try- I'm trying to narrow it down from those four. You- you're convincing me that Gonzaga is not actually that good. And Vir- yeah. Virginia, Virginia, I don't know much about. I'm just going to rely on the fact that it's Tony Bennett and presumably really strong defense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not even convinced that Gonzaga is the best team in their conference. Well, don't you, don't you come at me with that St. Mary's? Yeah. I I really think we'll find out this Saturday because Gonzaga plays St. Mary's head to head this Saturday. A lot of good games coming up this Saturday. Uh, Indiana Purdue, kind of a big rivalry in the Big Ten, coming up this Saturday. A lot of talk about Trace Jackson Davis trying to move in on Zach Eady's territory as the best big man in the Big Ten, and TJD has been on a roll, so that could be kind of a, an interesting one. But Kansas. Um, and they as, won it all. As they a won big, it all last year. Yeah, go ahead. As a Big Twelve fan who hates Kansas, like I, I can't bring myself to support Kansas. So it, it, they, they may be the right answer, but I just, I morally cannot say Kansas. 
Yeah, and well, I would say it's tough to pick Kansas because we haven't had anybody go back-to-back since that Florida team, right? The Joakim Noah, Al Horford, Florida team. It hasn't, hasn't happened since then. And while it wouldn't surprise me if Kansas did it, I'm not going to bet on it and certainly not going to wish for it. So I really kind of – I know this team just got blown out by Oklahoma. But I re- I really think Alabama is kind of my team that I'm going to ride with to win it all. I just said Tennessee is the best team in the nation currently. I'm picking another SEC team to win it all. I just – there's just something about this team that I like. It kind of reminds me of – you kind of got Brandon Miller as your star player. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the Jaleel Okafor Duke team a little bit that won it all, um, where they've got a lot of talented pieces. Brandon Miller kind of being the head of that, not the same position as Okafor, but they can beat you in a multitude of ways. They have good guard play, which you, you value experience, and I think that's good, but I think that having – High-quality guard play is something that really shines through in March Madness, and Alabama's got it. I think UCLA has got that too, and that's why I would say they're probably next in line for me because of what you talked about with Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkes, um, blank and on his name right now. He's he's a pretty good NBA prospect, but and then uh, Tiger Campbell, like Jalen Clark, David Singleton, Amari Clark. Bailey. Clark. Yeah, that's that's the name. I really like the dynamic that Clark brings too. So So there <laughs> I I know positions in college may be a a minor thing, but their top five guys in minutes are all guards. So like no bigs for UCLA. Yeah, that so is the thing that gives me a, that's the thing that gives me pause about UCLA, right? And why I didn't take them, because I think Alabama has the right mix of bigs, wings, guards. They can beat you any which way. I'm still – you're not a big believer in Houston, but still Alabama went into Houston and kind of took their lunch money from them. So who's the guy really, who's been around for a while that everybody loves? Sasser, Marcus yeah, Sasser. The big star. Yeah. Yeah, and Jabal Shed, um, and they've got a lottery pick and – Jarris Walker. There's a lot to like there. And also there's some weird stuff going on with Houston where they're like way better on the road than they are at home. And the final four is in Houston. So I really like Houston to get to the final four, but I don't really like them playing at home in the final four. Apparently Houston is just really bad at home and not good and really good on the road. So as long as they aren't playing at home, Houston's going to be great. Who were our final four last year? Kansas, North Carolina. Do you know this off the top of your head? Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, and Houston. Okay. So at in, in the poll last year in week 13, Houston was six, Duke was nine, Kansas was 10, and North Carolina was not ranked. Yeah. 
So to show you how much things can change between now and the final four, that's what I'm going to say Virginia. Let me go crazy out on a limb. Virginia would be my one. UCLA is two. Last year at this time, Auburn was number one, Gonzaga two, UCLA three, and Purdue was four in the rankings. AP. You can tell me whether this team is ranked. I haven't looked at the AP rankings in a minute just because I don't really don't really care for the AP rankings all that much. I, I much prefer looking to to Ken Palm and Bart Torvik um, and uh, the net rankings. I think looking at those three can kind of give you a feel of who the best teams are. But I think a team that is not ranked that could come through is that Creighton that Creighton Ball Club really thought highly of preseason had some injury troubles and went in a little bit of a slump. And now they just absolutely crushed Xavier, who I think is a 100% the second weekend team just crushed Xavier at home and they're fully healthy. Now I think, I think Creighton is kind of a sleeper team. They are currently in the receiving votes category. They would be number 29 if we went that far in the AP. If you want to pick this year's North Carolina, I think interesting. I think Creighton is a bet for this year's North Carolina. And looking at that, some of the the surprises or positive negative surprises. Doing a quick scroll scroll through here, uh, some of the standings. Um, you know the the AAC man being a one bid league. I think I tried to convince myself that Memphis and Cincinnati were worthwhile teams, but they are doing the opposite. Uh, A10, the ACC, Clemson still hanging on to number one officially in the rank uh, standings for the ACC. Virginia's in there. North Carolina maybe drifting towards the bubble. NC State, Miami, Duke, all these teams. I mean, does Duke get in because they're Duke and they have the name recognition? ACC not really looking that tough this year. Syracuse down, Wake Forest down, Boston and Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Louisville, all very not good. Yeah. Everybody listening to this, um, just bet against ACC teams come March. I just think it's going to be a brutal March for the ACC. Um, now, as I say this, Syracuse will probably make one of those yeah. wild Elite Eight runs that they have no business right. going on. But, you know, I'll take I'll take my chances that that's not going to happen. Like you said, I'm not very impressed by really – anyone in the ACC outside of maybe Virginia, maybe sometimes impressed by Virginia, but I think the lack of depth with them kind of concerns me the lack of offensive firepower kind of concerns me. So, and um, yeah, yeah. The big 12, six teams in the top 15 of the big 12, but the bottom four, maybe in Oklahoma or in Oklahoma state gets in on strength of schedule. Same can be said for West Virginia. I think Texas tech is comfortably out. I think you're looking at six teams easily getting in for the Big 12, barring something catastrophic. I just wonder about those three. Are, are there any of those really that good enough to be bubble worthy? I think as of today, I saw that um, Oklahoma, I believe, was in. And I think West Virginia was in, too. So I think they were showing eight teams, and the teams that were out were Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State was in that first four out category, according to Lunardi, I believe. And Oklahoma was one of the last four in, so they would be in the, the playing game. So I really think you're going to, you aren't going to get nine from the Big 12, I don't think, but I think you're going to get eight. I, I really do think there's going to be eight teams 
and it's probably going to be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State battling it out for that last spot, although I'd probably have to give the nod to Oklahoma after that big win against Alabama. I think that was kind of a really good resume-building win for them, especially since they had a double-digit victory over a quad one team, so which is weighted more heavily than a single-digit victory over a quad one team. So I really think Oklahoma is probably going to be that team. And then also, I guess, West Virginia is going to have to fight a little bit. But I, I really think the Big 12 is getting eight. The Big East, Andrew's beloved Big East, I think you're assured five teams here, the Musketeers and then Marquette, quietly having a great season with Shaka Smart there. Providence having a great season. Nobody's talking about. You talked about Creighton. And then I think UConn, I think those five are all looking like March teams. Seton Hall is floating right there as a maybe. And then it just kind of tails off the rest. Villanova down years. They start with a new coach. Unfortunate, the Patrick Ewing era with Georgetown. So the basically a, a top and a bottom here, easy with the Big East. And then Seton Hall is going to go one way or the other. Yeah, and I, I would put Seton Hall comfortably out and don't think they're going to seriously challenge. I think they're kind of going to be a team that's going to have to win the Big East tournament to get in. And we'll, we'll take a quick pit stop here on the Big Ten because I, I I have questions. Purdue, we talked about, they're the number one, they're number one team. Only two Big Ten teams are ranked, Purdue and Indiana. The current Big Ten standings based on win percentages, Purdue Northwestern, Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, and then you get Michigan State, Iowa, Penn State, Maryland is okay, Michigan and Wisconsin, Ohio State all struggling, and then no surprise, Nebraska and Minnesota down at the bottom. But what the heck is happening in the Big Ten? Yeah, there's just a lot of... Northwestern and Rutgers going to be in the tournament? Is that what you're telling me? 100%. Yeah, actually, that is what I'm telling you. Wow. Um and Rutgers is more of a sure thing than Northwestern. I think Northwestern has a tough schedule coming up. Could definitely see them playing their way out. But I, I Rutgers is actually a good team and is very much solidly in the tournament. They're going to give um, some teams some fits with their defense that they play. They play a physical brand of basketball. And so, you know, you got to rethink – you got to rethink your thoughts about Rutgers because they've been in the tournament for, I believe if they make it this year, it'll be five straight years of being in the oh. tournament for Rutgers. So they used to be this easy free win, but they are, they are not that any longer. Um, Northwestern looks much better, although they've kind of skated by in some close games. I think what you see in the big 10 though, is it's Purdue and then there's just like a log jam from, you know, Purdue is the clear top, Minnesota and Nebraska are the clear bottom. And then there's a log jam from two to whatever, two to 12, right? Which maybe Ohio State's a little bit on the outside too, but um, there's not a lot of separation between the two to 11 range. And you're going to see that shift there's going to be some crazy tiebreaker scenarios for the Big Ten standings going into the Big Ten tournament, I think, because there's just there's not a lot of separation between those teams in the middle there from two on down, really. There's not a lot of there's not a lot separating each other. There's a whole lot of good, not great 
So in that range. Looking at three teams in particular that you expect to be there come March, your level of concern, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, or is Big Ten clout going to get them in, or are we legitimately concerned for these three? I'm I'm concerned mostly for Ohio. I think Ohio State has some serious work. Ohio State and Wisconsin are, are probably on the outside looking in right now. Michigan is probably in that um, last four in territory. So, yeah, I, I'm mostly concerned with Ohio State and Wisconsin at this point in time, but not um, a little bit concerned with Michigan, but not as concerned as I am the other two. Um Going down here, going to kind of focus on the big ones and go quick here, but a quick shout-out to Florida Atlantic leading Conference USA. They're 21-1, and ranked 19th, so watch for them in your bracket when you look at them as like a sixth seed and wonder, what the heck, Florida Atlantic? Uh, looking at some of the other mid-majors, nobody really standing out as doing anything mm-hmm. astonishing. I'm glad you brought this up. So Florida Atlantic's a team to look out for. A couple of other teams that I think could bust up your bracket in March – Oral Roberts, um, Max Acemus is still on that team, and they have a seven-foot center that transferred in from Arkansas, Connor Vanover, and they have a couple of other guys on that team that made a run to the Sweet 16. So that are they're still left over on that team that made a run to the Sweet 16. On top of Max Acemus, who went off in the tournament, and then Kent State. They play some serious defense. They gave Houston everything they could ask for at Kent. The game was at Kent State. They barely lost a close game to Houston, I believe. So I really like Houston, uh, Kent State's defensive prowess that they show. And Sincere Carey is a name that you're going to need to remember come March. So I think Oral Roberts and Kent State are probably going to be and Charleston, College of Charleston, those were all listed as 12 seeds by Lunardi. Nice. Um, and I think, you know, those are dangerous 12 seeds. So we all know that the 5-12 upset is a very common thing in uh, March Madness. So I think those are kind of your likely candidates, but... I think Oral Roberts and Kent State are, are two teams that I think I'm going to pick to win a game, kind of regardless of opponent. And finishing out our big conferences here, we know Andrew loves UCLA and Arizona coming out of the Pac-12. The more time goes on, the more this conference is kind of checking off teams that I think have a chance. I think USC, Oregon, and Arizona State are still sitting there with a shot to get in. Outside of UCLA and Arizona, I don't know that I see anybody making much of a run in a Sweet 16 or better. Yeah, I think it's really UCLA and Arizona carrying the banner. Um, primarily UCLA, I think that's the team that I, I like to go the farthest from the Pac-12, as we just talked about. And we'll finish this up with the SEC. We've talked a lot about Alabama and Tennessee. look like the class of this conference. Going down the standings, Auburn has snuck into the rankings. Texas A&M's in there, probably a tournament team. Kentucky seems to kind of be wanting to play their way out of the tournament. And then you, eh, I don't... Florida, Missouri, maybe, but the big one is Arkansas. I think we've talked about this in previous episodes. What is going on with the Razorbacks? They were supposed to be another one of these great darling teams, and they are three and five in conference, 14 and seven overall. 
0 5 on the road. I'm starting to wonder is is Arkansas the bloom off the rose here for the the once beloved Razorbacks? Yeah, I. Yeah, there um multitude of things going on with Arkansas. Um, some injury related. Uh, some just a lot of new pieces. I think we talked about this with Arkansas before. They brought in a lot of freshmen and a lot of transfers, and some of those pieces just haven't meshed well together on the court. I think there's a lot of talent there that if Eric Musselman can figure it out, then Arkansas could really be a dangerous team if they can get on a little bit of a roll. But they are currently um, not playing their best basketball. But, hey, all that matters is you play your best in March. So we'll we'll see, and there's plenty of time to turn it around. But I think they're in the tournament as at this point in time. But they're they're kind of going to have to really work to stay in. So it and if they could be a team that heats up, right? Uh, that's certainly a team that I think has the talent to go far. It's just whether they'll realize that or not. And. To put a bow on this, to see how much of a wild guessing game the top 25 is at the beginning of the season. Here was the preseason AP poll. North Carolina was the runaway favorite. They're completely off the map now. Gonzaga was two. Houston was three. They're still hanging in there. You had teams like Kansas, Baylor, UCLA, who are doing what they were expected to do. Arkansas started the season as 10. Villanova was 16. Oregon was 21, Michigan was 22, and Texas Tech was 25. This is crazy to think the teams that come out of nowhere, the teams that are top 25 who don't, you know, maybe at the moment are not living up to the hype. It's just preseason polls are educated at best guesses. Yeah, and I mean, this is another topic that we can go off about maybe another time, but I'm not really a fan of I'm I'm team abolish preseason polls. I don't think we need them for like six or seven weeks. But then what other kind of fodder will we have for sports talk? That that's the only reason they exist. But it it's really just a guessing game and we need to let things play out for a few weeks before we start ranking teams in either college basketball or college football. Just my hot take of the day. Probably a probably a fair, reasonable take. Yeah, too fair and too reasonable to be widely accepted. <laughs> yeah, we can't be having that on sports talk. Yeah, it's got to be hotter than that, or it will not. It will not go anywhere. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about the college game? We'll sprinkle in a couple minutes of NFL before we get out of here. Yeah, we can sprinkle in a couple a couple of minutes of NFL. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the big news that I at least saw for the first time while we were recording today. The Denver Broncos are hiring Sean Payton. He was still under contract for the Saints, even though he hadn't been coaching. So the Saints and the Broncos have agreed to a trade per Adam Schefter. The uh, trade calls for Denver's first round pick from San Francisco. So number 30 overall, 2024 second rounder. Um, Yeah, so 2023 first, 2024 seconds in exchange for Sean Payton. Thoughts? Why are we giving up draft picks for a coach when we have a lot of holes to fill on our team? <laughs> uh, that That's just my initial thought. 
So just, the, <laughs> the, the I love Sean Payton, but you need those draft picks. The I mean, these are two teams who have made some very interesting roster moves in the last couple of years. But the Saints are so cash strapped; they're going to have to give up so many pieces, and they also don't have a lot of draft picks. The Eagles have a top ten pick in the draft, even though they're playing the Super Bowl because of the Saints. They made a trade last year for a draft pick, so the Saints have been trading away draft picks like their monopoly money. So they had to recoup something, and they're going to lose so many players because they have no money. So not a fun time to be a Saints fan, is what I'm saying. No. But not a fun time to be a Broncos fan, even with the news of getting Sean Payton, who we know is a good coach and I believe is a good coach and is going to do his best to turn Russell Wilson back around. And I don't know if he'll be successful, but I saw a tweet today and basically it said, okay, here in the past couple of years, here's what um, the Broncos have traded away. And here's what they've got. They've traded away three first rounds, two, three second rounds, a fifth round pick, <laughs> Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, who was a first round pick, for Russell Wilson, third a third round pick, a fourth round pick, and Sean Payton. Not a not a great return <laughs> on investment there. As good as Sean Payton is, not a great return in, on investment for all those picks. I had six picks in the top 64 of the NFL draft for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, basically. They must be expecting those two to work some kind of magic. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, just uh, interesting uh, choices by the Broncos here, I think. Uh on, on less impactful news, but still fun news, we have the NFL uniforms for the Super Bowl. The NFC is the home team, so the Eagles are wearing their dark green jerseys. Uh, unconfirmed which pants they will be wearing, but probably the white. And the Chiefs will be wearing their white uniforms, which they typically wear with red pants. So uh, the Chiefs, according to CBS, the Chiefs wore the red in the past three Super Bowls. And the white is the first one they've been wearing First time they'll wear white in the Patrick Mahomes era. So green jerseys, Eagles, white jerseys, Chiefs. Wait, first time they're wearing white in the Super Bowl in the Patrick, just in the Super Bowl, right? Yes, yes, yes. In, in the Super Bowl. They have, they've, okay. they've always worn their red never tops. they worn white in the Patrick Mahomes era? <laughs> in, how, in Patrick Mahomes Super that? Bowls. Yes. I was going to just say, have the Chiefs just been wearing red every game that I've seen for the past yes. six years and I never noticed? Or yes. What's going on? Okay. The, the Eagles uh, had the choice. They were the home teams. So they got to pick what they wore. And the Chiefs just had the deal. Got it. Got it. Um, also, D'Amico Ryans got hired by the Texans. Six-year contract. So good to see the Texans giving a new head coach six years, basically, to try and figure things out. Now, we'll see if they hold to all six years of those. I know teams can exit contracts, but I, I really think um, D'Amico Ryan's is going to be a good coach. He was kind of the mastermind behind the 49ers defense this year. And a, a, a longtime Texans player as well as a linebacker. So kind of that hometown hero coming back. So I think he'll be really invested in the guy who really cares about the franchise. You have to imagine. Yeah. And he's bringing the uh, San Francisco quarterback coach with him to coach the offense presumably (laughs) so 
So and we only yeah. had five, only had five coaching vacancies. The Panthers got Frank Reich last week, Sean Payton to the Broncos, D'Amico Ryan's to the Texans, which leaves the Cardinals and the Colts open. And I'm convinced that means that there is a coordinator playing in these games that they want to be at Eric Bieniemy or Shane Steichen or somebody else. So no, no reasoning or, you know, no facts behind that. Just me spitballing. I saw that the Cardinals interviewed the uh, Bengals defensive coordinator today, Lou Amaroma, I believe. So they might, um, they might be taking Lou, but you never know. You never know. They could wait and take a, be an or stack in there, whoever you want. So, so just kind of open, open floor time for you. Anything NFC championship, AFC championship or Super Bowl thoughts you want to sneak in? Uh, no, nothing. I wanted to sneak in. Uh, I, I did kind of want to sneak in a quick betting nugget. I don't know how much of degenerates our, our listeners are. Hopefully not much, but I started, uh, I found this guy on YouTube who's doing this interesting challenge that, I participated in, and we've done a couple rounds of it, haven't made it all the way through, but basically the concept is trying to turn $10 into $10,000 in 10 days. And you do that just by uh, reinvesting your winnings. So bet on something that doubles your money from 10 to 20 and then take that 20 and make it 40 and then 40 to 80. You you get the idea here, right? If you do that over 10 days, you get to 10,000 and kind of the, the idea um, that he's gone on is pick things that have a really likelihood of happening, combine them together into a parlay and all together make that equal plus 100. So for example, um, last night I had a Steph Curry to score 20, Clay to score 15, Giddy for 10, Harrison Barnes for 10 points. And I believe I forget someone else for 15 point Paolo for 15 points, Paolo Ben Carroll for 15 points. Well, unfortunately, Mr. Harrison Barnes decided to go three for 11 and only score eight points. Ah. And so it broke up the, it broke up day six. So five days before, before that I hit, hit every one of the five days. So I was trying to turn, 300 or so into 600 and you know Harrison Barnes let me down so but it is what it is it's been an interesting and fun challenge and I have sweated a lot so here's my thing did you you do this for like a valid platform or you just send some random guy ten dollars and no no no. I did this on FanDuel and DraftKings so basically Ah. this guy made um videos on YouTube to give away his picks for free and now he's got like more than a million people following along. So like, it's kind of taken over Twitter. So my Twitter, <laughs> but because is he he's ever got... right. That's the question. Has he ever hit on these? Oh yeah. He, okay. uh, the first, the first time he did it and I followed him, we made it all the way to day nine. So trying to turn, um, 2,500 into 5,000 and needed the bills to go plus six and a half against the Bengals to hit. And they lost by 17 points. So that was rough and then started back up again after a couple of days and needed Harrison Barnes after getting five days straight beforehand because yesterday was day six. So that's how we got to 300 starting with 10. 
and yeah, missed. So rough, uh, rough, rough times. It's really, it seems simple. It's a good strategy. Need to learn to take my profits where I can and not go for the gusto every time. No, that's part of my problem with betting is I say, who's got plus 5,000? And yeah, Isaac Pacheco is going to run for 200 and catch 100 yards passing. Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's how you lose a lot of money real quickly there, Darren. So yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, 100%. So I'm trying to maybe not become a professional handicapper or anything like that, but trying to make legitimate money by following along with people that think they know things and trying to put some of my own thought behind it now too, maybe. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we'll become degenerates and, and offer up picks or anything from the show. Probably not, but I just uh, wanted to share with our audience, you know, how much of a degenerate I am. And I I appreciate sports betting. I don't live or die by it, but isn't it just nice to have sports betting be a thing? Yeah. It is kind of nice to have it just be a thing. It adds a little bit more intrigue to the game. Yeah, just for me, have I an mean, option. You haven't you haven't lived until you're cheering in your living room about a Knicks Celtics game going to overtime so RJ Barrett can score fifteen points. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've until you've done that until you've sweated out. And I mean RJ Barrett hitting the three with twenty seconds left to go in overtime to give the Knicks the win basically against the Celtics and to hit 15 points. I mean, it was a modern day miracle. I mean, that is the only way to make a Knicks basketball game interesting to me. Yeah. 100%, 100%. So that is, uh, my gambling misadventures for you all right now. And, uh, say a prayer for me, um, prayer for my heart because apparently it makes my blood pressure rise steadily watching these games every night begging guys to score points let's remember it is self-inflicted 100 percent. but also pray for me thank you yeah we'll 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 pour one out for you when uh Giannis misses on his triple double (laughs) yeah absolutely all right anything else for this week's show we went nice and extra long we've been doing a lot of long shows lately not mad about it so lots good content a lot to get to uh no I think that's all I got in the in the tank for this week. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on episode 90. And we celebrated the greatest players to ever wear number 90 and gave you lots of good insight on NBA, college basketball. We'll be back next week to really go deep into the Super Bowl and what we expect to happen. And dare I say, do some NASCAR season prep. And I believe we have a UFC card to get to. So lots on the table here throughout February and maybe get Andrew back on to do some NBA all-star rosters and uh, check back in as we get closer to March Madness. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week. Mm